Hello and welcome to Laidback Lush. I'm Michael, a former wine sales associate and vineyard worker. And I am Gabe. I am WCT Level 3 certified and I am an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. And today we are going to be talking about Italian wine laws returning to our World Wine Laws series. Yeah, sorry, we forgot to mention that the last episode was a uh, interruption of the series, not a not an end to it. But a very necessary one since we are in these lovely fall months. I think today is the first day that it's been in the 60s mm-hmm. yet this year, so I'm just so excited yeah that global warming really hit us hard this summer yeah i mean fall is literally my favorite season so i'm I'm gonna need to either move somewhere north or something i don't know what we need is we need a real life version of that uh training chamber from dragon ball z and we can just make it like you know years of autumn and it's only a couple days in real life I'm okay with this, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just let's skip out on the hellscape that they were able to create, though. Yeah, I, more, yes. the, more the concept than the execution. Because that's show. more of just like a prophecy of future years to come. <laughs> than <anything. laughs> that being said, though, we are talking about Italian wine laws. Yes. Italy being one of our nice, hot regions. Mediterranean climate, yes. dry. Well, in kind of like Tuscany southward yeah uh, the piemonte in the northern part of italy is much cooler the more shaded by the alps from a lot of incoming heat um, mitigating influence altitude all that fun stuff keeps it much cooler up in that region yeah and that's where a lot of your whites and your sparklings are going to be coming from but we're not going to be getting so much into uh regions as yeah. we are just into how to read the wine labels and what they mean for you the consumer nor will we be getting into the what two or three thousand supposedly indigenous grapes that italy grows yeah Yeah. (laughs) some of which are definitely just other grapes that are being passed down from the family that they're convinced is something unique to their plot yeah sometimes that's legitimate sometimes it is not and that's kind of where some of our conversation is also going to be going today just some interesting local uh controversy maybe we should give a little bit of disclaimer so as i was doing research for this episode you know i um full disclosure i'm not a huge fan of italian wines on the whole not because they're bad necessarily but as we've talked about before on the show particularly the reds which is predominantly what i drink there's um they're just so harsh when they're young particularly out of like tuscany and southern Mm -hmm. italy some of the more northern regions less so but even still like barolo and those where it's nebbiolo it's going to be really harsh when it's just released which means that once they do eventually age, you can have yeah, some of these they'll age beautifully. Wonderfully complex wines. But, you know, I don't want to have to lay down a bottle for five years to drink it when I want to drink it tomorrow evening. <laughs> See, know? this is why whenever we buy wine, you buy two bottles. The bottle you want then, and then the bottle you leave alone. Exactly. So I don't drink a whole lot of Italian wine, so I haven't really done a lot of research on Italy's impact in the wine industry right now. And looking into this episode... I came across quite a bit, so um, we're, we're going to try and keep it not super negative, but just know that we will be talking about some pretty major criticisms of Italian wine laws as they stand at the moment. Well, and I mean, I'm coming from this from, I really happen to love Italian wine. Mm-hmm. I also happen to have had the opportunity to try some really good wines, though. And there is fantastic wine in Italy, don't get me wrong. Agrianico, stuff like that. 
Yeah. Well, even some of the, particularly out of the Piemonte, some of the reds from some of these lesser known regions that aren't these super heavily tannic, high alcohol grapes, more Mm -hmm. approachable from an early age, kind of like Barbera, even though last week that didn't go so well. We do have really great wines coming from that region that are just lesser known. Yeah. And we even got a multiple Chiano as a safety wine at one point. Mm -hmm. And that really did save the day. Yeah. Because they do create some amazing stuff. I happen to also love big, bold, and sometimes even harsher stuff. Mm -hmm. I also take my coffee black, so if that gives you any indication. (laughs) I'm a big man, you man, I have muscles. (laughs) I also have muscles, uh, just in case you don't. No, I'm joking. Um, Yes, I am capable of motor function. (laughs) I can can move my skeleton places. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty vital step in existing. In fact, steps are a vital step in that. Um, so, oh my God. yeah, no, we're keeping it. Oh. <laughs> I quit. I quit. I'm done. So, so getting into this, though, I do love Italian wines. I like them on a little bit of the harsher side. I like them being a bit grippy. Mm-hmm. But let's get into some of these terms, some of the laws surrounding Italian wine so that we can kind of give people an idea of what to expect when they're reading any particular label. So, yes, that gets into, as with French and German wine laws, it's kind of like a pyramid of a hierarchy. Italy actually tried to kind of copy France's system. There's some similarities there, for sure. Yes, and that was historically part of a reaction to after World War II and a lot of vineyards got decimated. There was a huge economic depression in Italy at the time. Producers had to start growing a lot of grapes and selling whatever they could. They really didn't have the luxury necessarily of putting out quality wine per se, because that means you have to start restricting your yields and keeping them on the vine longer, which is more risky because you might lose part of your vineyard if like Mm. a They get waterlogged from late rain in the harvest or something like that. So people were making pretty low-quality wine in high volumes, and so they got just a terrible reputation, particularly like mid-last century. People would talk about Chianti in particular Mm -hmm. as being just this awful wine (laughs) to serve in a basket Mm -hmm. that's super cheap and nobody likes. Yeah, so Italy in an effort, the Italian government, I should say, in an effort to get that under control and at the behest of, you know, producers that did want to produce better quality wines, thought up this system. Again, they kind of just copied France, but the terms are different. So let's get into that. We have our vino de tavola, which literally just translates to table wine. This apparently accounts for still a huge market share of what Italy produces. This kind of like um, what we talked about in the previous couple of episodes is a non-GI wine. So this has the least amount of standards associated with it. There's a lot of experimentation that can happen at this level with winemakers because, as we'll get into here soon, the DOC and the DOCG laws are very stringent. And there was kind of a backlash from more innovative producers toward those laws. So some of them might be doing this level to like have the most amount of freedom, but I would not recommend looking at this level for innovative wines. This is going to yeah. be your like basic what comes out of Italy just yeah, this to is pass as wine kind of wine. Needle in a haystack if you're looking for quality wines that wanted freedom. Yeah. It's table wine. So if you do want that, though, that more uh, innovative form of winemaking, IGT is 
going to kind of be where you want to look for that. There is a mix at this level. Some of these wines are very mediocre, but some of them are producers who are trying to experiment and um, expand. So the, the IGT, you might see that on the label more likely. It stands for Indicazione Geografica Tipica. Uh, and again, I'm not Italian, so apologies. But that is most likely what you will see on the label, is that whole term spelled out. These wines might not necessarily be um, labeled with what grapes are in it. You're kind of expected to know what grows in certain regions. Some producers will, though, particularly for exports, just so other places can know what is in their wine. Costco right now actually has a very good IGT wine. I want to say it's called Albero or Albera. Mm. I don't remember what grapes are in it, but the grapes are listed, if I remember correctly, on the label. And it's like fairly cheap, too. I don't think it's above $20. And that's an IGT wine. And it's actually really good. Mm. Um, that is, that's a very good Italian wine. It has, it's a black and white label, and it has uh, either three or four birds kind of flying in like a circular pattern on it. So if you have a Costco membership, maybe keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Or if you just happen to see it in a grocery store, I would actually very highly recommend picking that bottle up. That's a good bottle. And it's an early drinking style, so you don't need to worry about it being this harsh, tannic experience. But that's kind of like what you can expect in that IGT realm is these wines are typically not going to be super expensive. So even if you do kind of miss the mark on IGT wine, hopefully you won't have a lot of buyer's remorse like you might have at these higher levels that we're about to get into. And because this is a place where you do have people who are creative, but also people who just have a plot of land that has wine Mm -hmm. or has grape vines on it. And they're just producing because they want to produce. That's something we should probably say, particularly going into DOC and DOCG right now, is the history of winemaking in Italy is very much small family-driven producers. It's not necessarily the huge chateaus of Bordeaux and the high-quality vineyards of Burgundy that had, you know, nobility was looking at it and it was funded really well and all this stuff. Italy was very much more about, like, this is what your family has been making just for their own personal consumption for 150 years, you know? And if you did have a larger family coming in, it was normally uh, a hostile takeover. Yeah. Uh, This this was not, oh, hey, we want to produce this wine on this land. It was more, we like your wine, Mm -hmm. so we'll take it. Yeah. Italy kind of has that quote-unquote rustic reputation for a reason because a lot of producers still are very traditional in their approach to their wine because Mm -hmm. it's been handed down for generations through their family these are literal like family producers for a lot of regions now granted what gets exported might not be that it is probably going to be people that can afford to export a lot of these like really small family producers don't export a whole lot if at all a lot of it like i said is kind of kept within just their immediate village that's why they even say that the best way to get into Italian wine is to just plan a visit. Mm-hmm. You go to different places, you stay at different places there, you go to different restaurants, and they're just serving you what's yeah, what's locally available. What's locally available from these families, and it's some of the best stuff you'll have. Yeah, so to kind of start giving regions a better reputation, particularly coming out of what like we were talking about last century, we have the DOC and the DOCG. Now, DOC is Denominazione di Origine, 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 I'm going to say Origine, Controllata. And then DOCG is Denominazione di Origine, Controllata e Garantita. So 
DOC is beneath DOCG on the hierarchy. DOCG is the pinnacle of the Italian pyramid hierarchy. The reasoning behind these two labeling terms was to give a quality guarantee to a region. So Chianti, as you said, is the classic uh, (laughs) region that kind of needed a bit of a facelift, let's say. Which... There are really good Chiantis. There, there are excellent Chiantis yeah. now. A lot of Chianti does need time because San Giovese, like Nebbiolo, very high tannin, very grippy in youth, very harsh in youth, but it opens up beautifully with age. Gorgeous. Yes. Uh, so these labeling terms are pretty stringent. As with you know Germany and France, when you delineate a region, there comes with it what makes these wines these wines traditionally, and how can we keep that intact? So the problem with Italy, though, is the the rules were so stringent that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there was this backlash, and that kind of led to the IGT formation. But there are obviously still winemakers within the DOC and the DOCG hierarchy that are producing wines, A, because it's what they like to produce. They do like keeping up the tradition of their regions. And also, you can charge more, typically, depending on your region's reputation. So, for example, Barolo tends to be more expensive than Barbera because Barbera has a lower reputation overall. Barbera d'Alba has like a lower mm-hmm. rep- uh, reputation than a Barolo. So, hopefully that's not too confusing. but. Just know these are supposed to be your two top quality wines. However, in doing a lot of research, or at least in the articles that I read in doing the notes for this, there's a lot of criticism around these two in particular right now. The problem is, is that Italy is giving these out to kind of, it seems like every region that's asking for them. Mm -hmm. Even DOCG is increasing a lot, particularly like recently they're just yeah. handing out much more DOCGs than they used to and understand with garantita they're supposed to have tasted this mm-hmm. and guaranteed its quality but it feels as though they either aren't or they're lowering their standards yeah and there's also as with France and classification systems in France there's a lot of political intrigue let's say between producers and lawmakers mm mm-hmm. mhm In Italy in particular, you know, everybody wants to be recognized for good reason from a financial and reputational perspective, right? Like you want people to see that on your bottle and want to buy your bottle because it has a guarantee backing it, right? Yeah. But the problem is, is when you're handing these out to every region, it lowers the quality of the standard overall. Well, and even... The bottle that you and I got during our fall wines episode. <laughs> it's a perfect example of it. This was a yeah. DOC. It was a Barbera, and it was awful. We needed to put lemon juice in it to improve it. Yeah, it, it was so out of balance <laughs> that literally putting in lemon juice, which is a huge no-no. I still can't believe that worked. I'm yeah. still shocked. The acid was the problem. Yeah. But because of that, it's kind of like there's not a guarantee with as many of these DOC designations as they're handing out, that you're going to be getting quality of any type. Mm -hmm. DOCG, you still hopefully are getting at least a wine you can enjoy, even if it's not like, oh my god, this is the best wine I've ever tried. But even that is because they are even opening up the DOCG label to more regions, that is kind of under some scrutiny too. And there's a lot of startup producers within those regions that 
let's say, are making wines that are technically correct for the classification in terms of vineyard yields, minimum alcohol, um, grape types, aging requirements, but maybe they're not particularly careful about actually crafting a quality wine from a more artful perspective. So there's there's a problem with the quality in that regard yeah. right now as well. Which is kind of the catch-22 of the stringency of the wine laws themselves, because of the fact that the focus is on things that have the potential of affecting flavor rather than actually being the flavor. Mm-hmm. Then you can have people who technically fulfill these obligations without ever having done any winemaking yeah. whatsoever. But then actually sometimes, funnily enough, the opposite is true, where someone who's really passionate will buy a vineyard plot in one of these regions and start outperforming long-established lesser-quality producers because they're more enthusiastic about what they're making. And there's also a whole argument to be made about the idea of cultural preservation Mm -hmm. of methods and then innovating with modern-day technologies and approaches because the fact is, is that knowledge grows. Exactly. So. There's an article in particular that I really liked because it's, I will say this article was rather harsh, but I do think a lot of the criticisms were fair. So if you're curious about the article I got this quote from, it's called Have Italian Wines Become a Counterproductive Farce, which a little bit of a clickbaity head or uh, title, I will say. A little biting. A little biting. uh, Not how I would phrase that at all. But it's by a guy named John Mariani. He's like a wine industry veteran, been in for over a decade or a couple decades, if I remember correctly. But uh, he seemed to know his stuff. And so there are two quotes that I pulled from that that I think kind of hit what we're getting at more succinctly. First one is, but the real problem has been how since 1967, the DOC and DOCG appellations have expanded to numbers so high that it's difficult to imagine how any wine made in Italy could fail to acquire one. Mm -hmm. So as much as we rail against elitism in the wine industry, I will say there is something for exclusivity of a regional label that deserves to be recognized as a quality wine from your country, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, There's a difference between gatekeeping, where you are keeping people from having the knowledge of mm-hmm. how to do a product. Or making wine at all. Or making wine at all. Then there's the issue of elitism, which is where you have people who are boohooing methods, not because of the product that they produce, but typically because of a philosophy behind wine or a philosophy behind terroir or something like that. Whereas this is literally a quality standard. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. just give that to everybody. That's yeah. that's like giving everybody a passing grade, no matter who actually knows. Yeah, it's like the a knowledge. participation trophy. Which, you know, you, you can't just hand out a PhD. Yeah, and I know that this these guys aren't doing surgery, but I mean, it's it's kind of surgery for my soul, and <laughs> I don't want that violated. Uh, the second quote I pulled is because I am a wine writer, a lot of wine comes to my door that I dutifully sample. And more and more, I am tasting $25 wines that taste every bit as good as $125 wines, particularly wines from Piedmont and Tuscany. A Barolo from a small terroir may still result in an exquisite wine, but another from an adjacent vineyard purchased five years ago may be thoroughly mediocre and still charge a high price. So again, that kind of hits at the problem we mentioned earlier of people buying vineyards just to sell a DOC or DOCG wine rather than actually being invested in the region itself yeah or having any sort of passion about what a grape can do from that region yeah 
So uh, kind of moving on to two labeling terms, and then I think we can finish off the episode with some recommendations on how to navigate everything that we're talking about right now. Classico, we discussed Classico in actually the Gas Station Wines episode, funnily enough. Uh, oh dear um not because we purchased a classico <laughs> italian wine at, at, at the gas station <laughs> That'll be as, the day. as funny as that m- would be for an episode just like classico is just on on the thing this what, what was it called copa divino copa divino yeah. copa divino yeah. oh my gosh that stuff was i still can't get over that name but the the Classico designation just means what region it was historically grown from, and there are like a couple of standards the higher that you have to hit normally. But a Classico hopefully can be a, an indicator that someone cared a, a lot about that wine mm-hmm. to put the label on it. Then we have Super Tuscans. Now, Super Tuscans, you probably have heard of. They are a very popular style of wine. However, they are also typically a very expensive style of wine. These are wines that producers in Tuscany started making way outside of Italian wine law. And it was because Italy had such a bad reputation at the time. They were like, how can we beef up our reputation? Well, we'll plant Bordeaux varieties, basically, in Tuscany and start making blends with them and selling them. So Super Tuscans are red blends, and they're going to be mainly Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. There are some more varieties. Sangiovese does typically make a feature because Sangiovese is just a super prominent grape in Tuscany. It is kind of the grape of Tuscany. And as I said, these usually carry a pretty hefty price tag with them, but they are typically very high quality wines. I've seen some very cheap Super Tuscans. I haven't really purchased any because of the fact that they were so cheap. And I was kind of like, Eh, I don't know about that because these wines are, you know, typically going to be on the more expensive side. So if you want to risk it and buy a cheap Super Tuscan, uh, please let us know how it goes because I would actually be very curious to know. Yeah, I mean, it would be awesome if it was actually worth it. Yeah, but those are kind of the two bigger labeling terms. There are some other labeling terms that are in Italy, but I just don't really see on labels a whole lot, so I didn't include them. But how do we navigate what we just talked about? Again, as I said, IGT right now kind of seems to be the the area where there's a lot of innovation happening. Mm-hmm. But again, there's also quite a bit of just like passable wine at this level as well. So it is a bit of a catch-22. For all the criticisms we have lobbied against the DOC and the DOCGs, the mainstays are still normally a safe bet. So Barolo, Chianti, Brunello di Montalcino, Montepulciano di Bruzzo. These tend to be pretty solid choices. Yeah. Those are some good wine labels to kind of aim for. If you want a couple of basic recommendations, I would say that the Zaccagnini, the one with the little twig, is pretty good. Yeah, they make um, a multiple Chiano and a uh, Pinot Grigio, I believe, mm-hmm. that are both pretty solid wines. Uh, and very cheap, too. Oh, yeah. No, it's these are reasonably or, well, priced. Inexpensive. I'll say inexpensive, yeah. not cheap. Then you also have uh, Albino Armani. That's ridiculously old house. They probably have some of the best Pinot Grigio that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Their quality is pretty much indicated by their cost, so... The more expensive you go, the more quality you're going to get. They, they yeah. do a pretty good job. I will also say Italian whites, I think, 
even though they don't get the attention that the Reds get consistently, there's, there's good. a lot of particularly out of the Piemonte and Northern Italian uh, Appalachians. There's quite a lot of very interesting and kind of unusual yeah. whites up there. Unusual in terms of you know notes that we might not be used to in a white wine. And typically I, featuring more like nutty, mm-hmm. uh, nutty notes inside of the whites that you don't typically get from other regions. Yeah, so um, I would say just you know start googling, do some research. Particularly if you are a white drinker, a lot of them do have pretty decent acidity with them. So if you're an acid white lover, that's a good region to look in. Obviously, if you like prosecco, it's it's there. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> it's not really my thing personally. Normally, there is very good prosecco out there that I do enjoy. But um, I, I love a good prosecco, but it does run a little sweeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if I am going to go for a sparkling, I mean, I'm going to go for cava. Yeah. If I want something that's inexpensive and high quality, mm-hmm. it's just the way I like it. But yeah, uh, explore around a bit. Ask your local wine shop guys which ones that they prefer. Yeah. Ask them which ones are popular. Those are not typically going to be the the greatest ways of finding a quality bottle, but possibly... A, it's better than a shot in the dark. It's better than a shot in the dark. Yeah. But that's kind of it for Italian wines. We hope in the future that they're able to kind of get the DOC and DOCG designations under control. There is a lot of quality in Italy. Yeah. And there is a lot of amazing winemakers so it really just comes down to them being able to distinguish themselves eventually, and hopefully we'll be able to see some quality coming out of there. Yep. In any case, if you haven't already done so, please follow us at LaidbackLush on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Thank you very much. I've been Michael. I have been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers.